Okay, and welcome back to Fast Street Performance then. My name is Tim Davies, and today I've got a post on maths, or math if you're in America. If you're in Europe, we call it maths because we do pure and applied, and it's how we do it in the cockpit. So we're talking speed, distance, time, fuel, percentages, fractions, all that kind of stuff. Now, I do speak at a very high rate, and I have been told that it would probably be a good thing to reduce that rate. I've got to give a talk later this month. I speak at 320 words per minute at the moment. That is not conducive to proper learning, apparently. If you follow any other self-help guys, Tony Robbins, one of the um, best self-help guru guys on the internet, he talks at 240 words a minute. So in effect, you're getting significantly more value from me than him, I'd like to think, by my books, not his. However, comma, um, I need to reduce that. So in the in the sphere of professional learning, uh, which applies to all of us, of course, I'm going to attempt to reduce the amount of words that I speak during this post. Now, what I've found happens is that I can come across as quite staccato and quite sort of rigid and, and, and I'm trying to blend it all in. So if I sound like an idiot, uh, I apologize. However, this is a good post. I think you'll enjoy it. It's about how I do maths in the cockpit, both in air combat when I'm talking about fuel and when I'm at low level or medium level on weapon sorties when I'm talking about um, speed, distance, time. I know the guys and girls that are going for OSC or AIB uh, or up to Sandhurst are quite interested in this sort of thing. I got a lot of emails. In fact, I've got to slow it down. I've got emails uh, yesterday, in fact, asking about how I do maths in the cockpit. I would just say that if you are writing to me and I love getting emails and I answer everything, I really do. And I've made some great friendships and you know who you guys are. Um, what I would say is before you ask me a question, just have a quick search on the website. You'll probably find a full post. And these posts, as, as you guys know, they're long. I mean, these, this is long form content. It doesn't just happen overnight. So I may well have answered your question on the website before. And it just saves me having to write a, uh, an email to you saying, here's the post URL. You know what I mean? Because I've got a lot of guys that are quite needy um, out there and rightly so because they might have their AIB coming up or they may have their aptitude test coming up and they're asking me some questions and that is absolutely great if I can help you out. Um, but it, just try and check the website first, guys. That's all I'm asking just because it will help you and it will help me as well. Okay, so there's actually, um, we're going to do a few maths questions in this and uh, what I would say is some of them are quite complicated. So if you are driving operating you know heavy machinery or trying to you know repair a broken relationship or something like that maybe just don't try and do the working out i'll do it for you i'll ask the question i'll give you some time maybe play with it in your head but don't deep dive into working it out if you are busy all right because you will get preoccupied and i don't want people spinning their car off or anything like that okay um, i'm going to work it out for you anyway because uh it's all written down here so i'll read it out now by all means um play me faster if you need to because i am going to reduce my speech now in the age in the age of self-improvement which is what i need to do to myself um, i'm going to talk much slower than i normally do okay so the post today then um by all means hit the comments as well if you enjoy this one i'm, I'm really uh, i'm really into that and link in let me know what's going on uh, with your lives as well i do appreciate that so why fight pilots keep the math simple and why you should too I decided that I was not going to die today. And with that, I closed the throttle and as the nose of my fighter jet lazily dropped below the horizon, I rolled out on a rough heading for home. Jester 3 is bingo RTB, I called over the radio, letting the other two aircraft that I was with know that I was heading home and on minimum fuel. I was on fumes. It's a daily occurrence when you're flying to one of the most tightly packed flying schedules in the world. In order to maximize the training value for the student pilots, you have to stay in the air for as long as possible, and that often means running your fuel down to frighteningly low levels. Think of it as driving past a fuel stop in the hope of reaching another one, even though your car's fuel light has been on for the last 10 miles. Except there is no hard shoulder to park in should you get it wrong. And the penalties for making mistakes become harsher depending on the discipline being flown. If you are flying a low-level navigation sortie, intending to pull up and fly home some hundred-odd miles away from your base airfield, you calculate your required fuel to get home 
on the ground before you even get airborne. This way, you can check that your fuel airborne matches the fuel you calculated in the planning phase and when you were on the ground and your head wasn't trying to do a million other things. If you are conducting some upper air exercises again, fuel planning is not too difficult and you can recover home with an excess of fuel. The result of the aircraft burning less fuel at height and with the use of mid-range power settings. But one of the most demanding scenarios for any pilot comes during air combat maneuvering or ACM. When in combat, a pilot is required to max perform his own aircraft and to do this, they will use any lift augmentation devices that might increase the turn rate while simultaneously trying to minimize drag. Now lift creates drag and this is called lift induced drag. In order to overcome the drag that is caused by these devices, combat flap, slats or even the wings, a pilot will require as much power from the engine as they can get. And power requires fuel and lots of it. In the Tornado GL4, the use of combat or max reheat would use 700 kilograms of fuel per minute and the jet only carries seven tons. A pilot can use all of that fuel in just 10 minutes. Combat power is used in air combat and at the rate it is used, it can catch people out. And it's always the hostile aircraft who tends to run out of fuel first when practicing air combat. This is because they are permanently engaged in the fight and the throttle is left open for the entire engagement. The other two aircraft just take it in turns to fight the hostile. Now I'd like to say that there is a super accurate way in which we calculate our fuel whilst in a fight, but in all honesty, it just takes some rough maths mixed with a healthy dose of experience. It's why we don't just allow anybody to be the hostile aircraft in an air combat engagement because when the mass is a little too rough, the experience needs to be incredibly refined. Now the mass is rough for a reason. It's because the aircraft is never actually displaying to us the true amount of fuel that we have left. In fact, it won't be accurate until we stop throwing the jet around and allow the fuel to settle. It is only at this point that we truly know how much fuel we have to get home. And it can be a truly horrible few seconds until the truth finally emerges. Like being slowly dealt the last card in a poker hand. Come on fuel, I've often caught myself saying. That's not the number I'm needing today. We always have a fuel figure that has been calculated on the ground prior to us getting airborne. Pilots do as much as they can in the planning phases pre-flight as it means that we have less to do airborne when everything seems to be trying to take up our time. We work out how much fuel we need to leave our home airfield with to fly straight to our diversion airfield. We have a diversion should we try and land back home and find that somebody has crashed on the runway preventing us from landing. We then add on an extra fuel consideration we might require such as fuel to conduct an instrument approach versus a visual recovery. An instrument approach being mandatory should we be using a civilian airfield or the weather at our home airfield has become poor. And this in the Hawk T2 requires another 80 kilograms of fuel. If we have to cross any controlled airspace, we will also add some more fuel in case we are delayed. And then we add all of this fuel together and we arrive at a figure. We call this figure our fog or fuel on the ground. And should we reach this prior to landing, then we either divert to our diversion or declare an emergency and land ahead of all other aircraft at our home airfield. So when we fly, we have a fuel figure called a bingo fuel. And this we can add an element of range or distance back to our intended landing airfield. In the upper air above 10,000 feet, we might add twice the range to get back home. At low level, we might add some more. Either way, the range is dynamic. It is ever-changing, but the figure 
that we need to add to our bingo figure should never need to change unless our diversion or weather back home alters, which isn't often. Now, on a good weather day, when the airfield is Mona, which is only about 10 miles away from RAF Valley and is our primary diversion, we will hold about 200 kilograms of fuel. This ensures that we can leave Valley, fly to Mona and land before the engine is starved of fuel and stops. Now, engine stopping in the air goes against most aviation principles and is generally considered to be a bad thing. So we've kind of worked out the fuel figures now that we need and kind of worked out how we actually do the figures before we even get off the ground. So let's talk about the maths pilot use to make sure they bring the aircraft home at the end of the day. Now, sometimes the maths is done for range, i.e. how far can I fly, but at other times it's done for endurance, i.e. how long can I stay airborne for. And sometimes, when it's really critical, you'll end up redoing the maths many times over. Now, I was once recovering a Tornado GR4 from Cyprus to Sigonella in southern Italy. The weather was poor and the flight was going to be long, over five hours if I remember correctly. I was in the front four jets and behind us by about another hour were the next four. As we approached the eastern coast of Sicily, one of the back four jets came up on the radio declaring an emergency. He'd shut down an engine with a failure and was now slow, burning more fuel on the one engine than he would be with two, due to flying a lower speed requiring more lift and hence increased drag, which required a higher power setting. And he was requesting an immediate approach into the Sigonella airbase. Now, in my formation, in the front four, there was a collective sigh of no, as we all knew what this meant. His mayday call meant that nobody was going to be able to land until he did and the Italians were not going to budge. He declared an emergency and had priority, even though he was still two hours flying time away, and the front four were just 30 minutes. Now, we spent the next hour or so burning as little fuel as we could whilst orbiting in the overhead of the airfield. Everyone was hurting for fuel. In the end, we just had to set up for an approach, call over to the radio, British officers coming through, and we landed our four jets, much to the annoyance of the Italian air traffic controllers. The general consensus amongst our four tornado crews in the front four that I was with was better to save the four jets and lose the one. Eventually, the broken jet arrived. The junior pilot was suitably embarrassed about not asking the fuel situation of the four lead jets prior to declaring an emergency that air traffic could do absolutely nothing about. Now, we carry check cards which have fuel figures at intervals of about 100 kilograms, 10 minutes or 50 nautical miles, depending on what you are trying to calculate. But it's often easier just to do it mentally as the cards require interpolation, which is never fun. And here's a quote. Interpolation. In the mathematical field of numerical analysis, interpolation is a method of constructing new data points within the range of a discrete set of known data points. Pilots cannot be bothered with this and would rather do complicated mental arithmetic because they are heroes. That's a dish definition I found on the internet mixed with my own interpretation. Good. Right. When I first started out in flying training, I would wish to be able to take a calculator flying with me. Even one of those old Casio calculator watches would have done. With hindsight, I now know that it would have taken up so much more of my time. It was so much easier to learn some tricks and tips about how to do quick and robust, robust maths. There are times to do maths and there are times not to. I expect you've all been hunting for a parking spot in busy traffic when you've reached over and turned the radio off. This is because you're being sapped of mental capacity by having to listen to inane chatter on some talk show when you're needing all of your faculties to concentrate on driving. It's the same in the air. We call it freeing up capacity. The mantra we use is aviate, navigate, communicate. And all decisions are prioritized in that order precisely because this is the order that things will kill you the most quickly. Let me explain. 
If I lose control of the aircraft, then I will crash. So no matter if I am confused about where I am or I have an incoming radio call, I will always prioritize flying the aircraft over that. In fact, if a student of mine becomes capacity saturated because of a difficult instrument approach, difficulty flying in formation at a low level or responding to air traffic radio calls, for example, an instructor's response will always be the same. Fly the airplane. What this means is that nothing is as important as keeping the aircraft in the air. And to respond to air traffic or check your map when maxed out or extremely busy is not the right thing to do. An incident back in 2015 highlights what happens when a pilot becomes task saturated and fails to prioritize the flying. On the 31st of July 2015, a Saudi registered Phenom 300 business jet crashed at Blackbush Airport in the UK, killing all on board. The pilot continued an unsafe and rushed approach, landing too far down the runway and at a higher approach speed than normal. The aircraft overran the end of the runway before bursting into flames and killing all on board. Investigators found that the pilot's mental capacity could have become saturated after being exposed to 66 audio warnings, instructions and messages during the 3 minutes and 32 seconds before reaching the start of the runway. The report found that the pilot's ability to adapt and take on new information as he was landing was impeded due to a very high workload situation. It stated, it is possible that in these circumstances, the pilot fixated on his initial strategy, landing, and lacked the mental capacity to recognize that the approach had become unstable and should be discontinued. The pilot, Mazan Salim Alkasim, was 57. He had 11,000 hours of flying experience and was conducting single pilot operations for which the Phenom 300 is certified. When we instruct students, we tell them that if it looks wrong, then it probably is wrong. For the pilot of the Phenom 300 who got himself task saturated, there was nobody to tell him that it looked wrong. He had failed to prioritise. So, before I attempt any maths or complicating planning airborne, I make sure that I have free capacity to do the task. If I am midway through an activity when something happens to disturb me, I do one of two things. Ignore it and carry on my task. Or I park my task, maybe right on my kneeboard where I have got so far, and complete the new task. I don't try and do both, ever. And there's a secret to people that do try and do both. This is how pilots die. As I've said before, pilots do not multitask. They just do many tasks exceptionally quickly. They compartmentalize parking some tasks whilst attending to other more important ones. I liken it to trying to make your mind resemble a blank piece of paper. Every time a request for your attention comes in, it takes up part of that piece of paper. And your job as a pilot is to remove it from the paper as fast as you can so that there is space for another task to come in. When the paper becomes full, you better be careful as this is the part where pilots fly into the ground. So, maths in the air. It all comes down to what I call approximate and refine. The reason we do that is that in a lot of cases, an approximate answer is just good enough. And this is because our environment is rapidly changing. And well, maths in the cockpit is just really hard as a lot of other things are also going on. If I take 30 seconds to calculate how long it will take me to cover 10 miles at 300 knots or 5 miles per minute, then I have already covered 2.5 miles before I even have my answer. So I need to approximate my answer first. In fast jets, we tend to work in miles per minute. Nautical miles to be exact, but very similar to statute miles. So using approximate and refine, if I had to calculate, and this is, guys, if you're driving, womanizing, whatever you're doing, if you're busy, just let me do the working out for you. I will give you a chance and you can do some stuff if you want, but don't drive your trucks or your oil tankers or your spacecraft because I've got an astronaut listening to this as well. Um, don't put the space station into, I know, 
moons and satellites and shit. So let's calm it down. It's going to be some maths now. All right. So let's approximate and refine. If I had to calculate 17 times 18. Okay. And you can do that now if you want to. And people are there going, oh, 17 times 18. It's going to be right. Let's let's talk it through. Then I'd either say, okay, so I'm flying along now, 17 times 18. I'd either say, well, it's almost 20 by 20, isn't it really? 20 times 20 which is 400. So 17 times 18 is almost 20 times 20 and it's almost 400. So it's going to be a little bit less than 400. That's not a bad thing really when you think about it. So 17 times 18 is almost 20 by 20. So a bit less than 400. But that's my approximate and we're all happy there. So if I refine, a better refinement would be maybe 17 times 18 is kind of the same as 15 times 20. Because the 17, well, that's kind of closer to 15. And the 18, well, that's kind of closer to 20. And they kind of even each other out because the 17 you're reducing to 15 and the 18 you're putting up to 20. So all there is there kind of taken out. But this now becomes much easier as we are multiplying by a factor of 10. And pilots, pilots who are busy, they just love adding a zero. So we've said... 17 times 18 is very similar to 15 times 20. Now, 17 times 18 is 306. 15 times 20 is 300. So it's pretty similar and it is enough for government work anyway. So another quick way then is to multiply 17 by 20 and then just take off the other two 17s. So if we did that now, what is 17 times 20? Yeah, so let's do 17 times 10 times 2. 17 times 10 is 170 times 2 is 340. 17 times 20 is 340. But we want 17 times 18. So we've got two lots of 17 too many. 2 times 17 is 34. So now what we have to do is go 340 minus 34. Everyone happy? And that takes us back to 306, which is 17 times 18. What I'm trying to point out here is I don't want you necessarily to multiply a hard number by a hard number. 17 is a hard number. 18 is a hard number. Make one of those numbers more simple. Simplify both of them if you can to get an approximate one and then we'll refine that. So in this way, 17 times 18, we've gone, oh, that's mental. I can't do that. Let's do 17 times 20 and then we'll work out what 2 times 17 is and we'll just reduce it by that. Have we all got that? We all got that. This is the bit, if you sped me up, you really are going to start regretting it now. Okay. So there's lots of ways to do it. Approximate. And then only if you have time and only if you're not too busy, refine your answer. The majority of the time, you won't need to refine. Okay. You won't need to refine. And this comes down to the um, CBATs and the aptitude test that everyone goes and does. These are not difficult questions. I'll go over one of these questions. These are quite difficult questions I'm coming out with now. But the ones in the CBAT tend not to be that hard that is actually quite a convenient answer and the guy who asked me a question a couple of days ago i'll explain how we got to his answer uh, and how it actually becomes a little bit obvious and we'll do that a bit later right now even eight times seven can sometimes be a really hard sum when you're super busy i've been maxed out before weaponeering um, high dive strace 20 degree uh, dive tornado west coast scotland and my nav's coming out with some figures and it's both of us are struggling and we're going to fly into the ground. So there's a time for doing this time not eight times seven. People will struggle with that. And that's absolutely fine. If you're struggling with it and, you know, God, we struggle with a lot of things, right? Let's not do eight times seven. Let's do 10 times seven. And then we'll take off two times seven. Isn't that the easy way to do it? So what is 10 times seven? 70. What is two times seven? It's 14. What is 70 minus 14? It's 56. Correct. So 8 times 7 is 56. If it's difficult and you can't do it, then get one of those numbers to an easier place. Does that make sense? Get one of them to the number 10 if you can, because it's easier just to add a zero. And um, someone I think maybe in the comments, I'm not going to scroll down there because I'll lose my place, but someone said, oh, if you can't even do your 8 times table, you shouldn't be in a jet. 
and I get that. And, you know, I don't have animosity towards people that put comments in or anything. It was a bit of a careless comment. It's what I'm trying to say here is I'm not just sat doing my eight times tables when I'm flying. This is the maths is the last thing we're doing. Does that make sense? There's everything else that we're doing in, in helicopters, jets, um, multis. Um, we're doing everything. The, the maths is this bit that happens in the background. So this is part of my brain now that's not flying the airplane. It's, it's not doing the radio calls. It's not doing the navigation. It's not talking to air traffic and communicating. It's the bit that I just kind of go, oh, whilst I'm doing these other things and I'm fighting these other two aircraft and I'm trying to look into them in the sun and work out aspect and angles and everything else, and I'm trying to work out my fuel burn, I better just calculate this figure. So that's why it's important that we simplify these things because I cannot allocate resources to them as you and I are doing now, sat at a desk or in the gym on the treadmill listening to my, my voice, okay? And so when I say eight times seven, you say, oh, 56. And that's cool. We can do that because we're in a very non-dynamic environment. But if I start putting you in a race car, go home and start doing, I don't know, race on one of your race games or do some video gaming or whatever, and then try and do some maths. And this is why I'm giving you these techniques now to make that math possible. So the main thing I'm trying to say to you is keep it simple and make it simple and, and really make it simple. I'm telling you now, jet pilots the world over are simple people. We just make stuff simple. It's all about making things simple, finding a way of doing that. So let's have a look at fuel calculations because on fuel calculations, we can also approximate. Now the Hawk at low level uses about 22.7 kilograms per minute and then it's flying at seven miles per minute or 420 knots. So 420 knots, if we divide that by 60, we get the number seven. Does that make sense? So basically 420 nautical miles per hour and there's 60 minutes in an hour, to find out what it's doing in a minute, we divide that figure by 60 and we get seven. That should, that should make a lot of sense to most people. Okay, that's pretty cool. Seven miles per minute. So it's doing 22.7 kilograms per minute and we're flying seven miles per minute. So for us then to start doing maths, 22.7 is a kind of crazy figure to use. So wouldn't it be better to just use 25 kilograms per minute because that way we're always gonna be on the safe side as we would always be calculating a higher fuel burn than we were actually using. Does that make sense? I'm calculating 25 kilograms per minute fuel burn as opposed to 22.7. It's always gonna be more restrictive. Let's have a think about it. So over five minutes then, 22.7 kilograms per minute over five minutes is 113 and a half kilograms, all right? So 113 and a half. Now that's at the 22.7. If I use the 25, so the worst case, but the easier mass for us is 125 kilograms. So there is a difference. And if I use the higher figure, I would be predicting a higher fuel usage than I actually had. So I'd be safer because 25 is easy to calculate, but 22.7 is not. Now, as we set off on our five minutes of flying, having done this maths, I can now refine my calculations. And the best way of doing this is often to look at what is left over. So what is the difference between 25 kilograms and 22.7? 25 minus 22.7, go. Yeah, it's 2.3. All right, so 2.3 interestingly is about 10% of 25 isn't it 2.3 about 10% of 25 so here's the thing we've now worked out a bit of a percentage so if we were to reduce our 25 kilogram figure by 10% we'd get a more accurate and refined fuel burn figure now this is refining but is only done if we have the time and capacity to do it Remember that 25 kilograms per minute over five minutes was 125 kilograms. Reduce that by 10%. 10% 10 of 125 is 12.5. So now we need to go 125 minus that 12.5, the 10%. And in that, we're going to get 112.5 kilograms. Now, this is very close to the 22.7 kilograms per minute figure of 113.5 
that we had above is just one kilogram difference. You see how the refining has really made that so much more accurate. Just by looking at how the numbers relate to each other, we could see that like 2.3, well, that's kind of like almost 10% of 25, kind of almost. Let's just use 10% of the 25. And that's what I'm talking about. It's working with numbers and having a relationship with them. Now, you can practice percentage sums when you're in department stores. I mean, what does 13% off actually mean? Now, if a fridge, this is like a life skill right now, and we slow this down, it's all good. This is easy, these ones, these are fine. If a fridge freezer is 13% off, and on it's a sticker, 13% off. Now, how do you work out how much that fridge is gonna be? So let's take its price. Say the fridge is 120 pounds. Sorry if it's in American, we use pounds over here. So 120 pounds is what we're gonna spend on this fridge. And we wanna work out how much it's gonna cost us because that big sticker says 13% off. Now, approximate, approximate and refine, okay? So approximately, what is 13%? Well, what is 10%? Let's go there for start, shall we? What's 10% of 120 pounds? Do you know how to get 10% 120? Just divide it by 10, it's all good, yeah? It's all good, we got it. It's 12 pounds, all right? It's 12 pounds. That's what 10% is. This is really useful now. To work out what 10% something is, we can really quickly work out what 1% is. And if we can work out what 1% is, we can work out what 3% is. You get what I'm saying? So I don't know how to work out 13% of 120 pounds. I'm not gonna be able to do that. That's gonna, that's gonna take me a while. But I do know how to work out 10%. And from a 10%, I know how to work out 1%. And from my 1%, I can work out any percent then. And it makes it really simple when I get to the refine phase. But we're not going to refine, we're going to approximate. So let's approximate 10% of 120, okay? The sum was, what's 13% off 120 pounds? Approximate, what's 10%? 12 pounds. 12 pounds is the 10. What pilot does now is he gets that 12 pounds and he puts it in a box and he puts it on a shelf somewhere. He's got that 12 pounds. He's got that 10%. He's got that. And he can go off and he can purchase that fridge now knowing he's going to get a bit more than 10 pounds or a bit more than 12 pounds off that fridge. He knows that. 10% is 12 pounds. So when he goes to the till, he knows that fridge should be 120 minus 12 and a bit. Okay, so he's got that. But as I'm walking to the cash register thinking this is a good idea, I've got time to refine my calculation. I've already approximated. I already know that 10% of 120 is 12 pounds. And as I'm walking to the cash register thinking, I'm going to buy this fridge, I'm just going to work out what that 3% is. And I'm going to work out exactly what my 13% off that fridge is going to be. So then I go, well, 10% was 12. So what's 1%? So have a go at working out 1% of 120. Well, it's 1.2. Okay, so you know that 1% is 1.2. Well, 3% then has got to be 1.2 times 3, which is 3.6. So now, on my little shelf where I put my 10% of 120, which is 12, I'll take that 12 back as I'm walking to the till, and I'll add it to the other box, which has 3.6 in it. 12 plus 3.6, 15.6. That's how much money I'm going to get off. That's what 13% is of 120. 120 minus 15.6 is 104 pounds and 40 pence. That's how much that fridge is gonna cost you. So when you're walking around department stores now, you can work off any percentage of anything you see. Do the big one first where you approximate and then refine it. Does that make sense? If something's 20% off, just work out what 10% off is and then double it. That makes sense, yeah? Work in tens when you can and then refine with the numbers. Okay, so it does get easier the more you do it. Never try and work out what 9% of something is when you can work out what 10% is and then just take off the 1%. That's how a pilot brain works. Because I start trying to work out what 9% is and I'm trying to deliver weapons somewhere or bounce someone or try and avoid getting shot down by a surface or missile system, whatever it is. That working out the 
it's going to take me a while and I won't ever have an answer until the final bit, the, the very answer that I'm trying to work out. If I work out 10% and I apply that 10% immediately, it doesn't matter if I get around to like refining it or anything because I've still got a real kind of, you know, a real approximate value. It's a pretty refined one and I can work with that. So speed distance time is something that we use a lot, as I'm sure you appreciate. And if you wish to practice this, you can do it as you drive, though it might be worth turning the arches off, especially if you are new to mental arithmetic. Now, if you're traveling in your car at 60 miles per hour, because there are also 60 minutes in an hour, you're covering one mile every minute. Take some time and think about that. Now, if you are traveling at 120 miles per hour, divide it by 60 because there's 60 minutes in the hour, you're now covering two miles every minute. And this helps a lot because if you have seven miles to go, for example, and you know what you're covering every minute, then the maths is simple. Now, 20 miles at two miles every minute, which is 120 miles an hour, is 10 minutes. Does that make sense? If you're traveling at 60 miles per hour, doing one mile every minute, 20 miles at one mile every minute would take you 20 minutes. Okay? And you can do these sums when you're looking at the mileage board on the corner, on the side of the motorway or whatever. It says 80 miles somewhere, whatever, and you're doing like 80 miles an hour. You know, when you're, whatever the figure's going to be, you can, you can start working things out. And very quickly, you'll look at a sign and you'll be saying, oh, that's 14 miles to go. And I'm doing 75 miles an hour. And you'll get deep diving into the maths and you'll, you'll turn out to be a speed distance time ninja. And you'll write me an email saying how I've changed your life and throw cash at me and everything else. I get, I get that. I'm waiting for that email. Now, fast jets work in miles per minute for this reason. We try and simplify things. So at low level, the Hawk flies, well, most, in fact, all fast jets fly at 420 knots, which is about seven miles per minute at low level. It makes the maths simpler. Apart from if you're on a target run, you might step up to 450 or 500 or 540, which is nine miles a minute. But generally, when we are in the cruise, we're doing 420 knots, which is seven miles per minute. 420 divided by 60, cancel zeros if you want to, seven miles per minute. So let's have a bit of a question. Okay, then student pilot in the front seat, how long until we get home? Well, the student says, well, home is 35 miles away. We are flying at seven nautical miles per minute. And these are the same miles, it's 35 nautical miles away and seven nautical miles per minute. So 35 divided by seven is five minutes. Does that make sense? Should make sense. 35 miles, seven miles every minute. 35 divided by seven, take you five minutes to get home. If you want to have a look at the post here, obviously you can follow it through with your finger and it might make it a little simpler. And by all means, comment whether you prefer me doing these things on a podcast or whether you prefer me doing them in writing. But um, but I know you're ninjas. I know you can, I know you can handle this anyway. So you'd be all right. So getting a bit more complicated then. Let's have a look. What about if we were in our car and we were doing 80 miles per hour. 80 miles per hour. So if you want to work out what 80 is in miles per minute, of course, you need to divide by 60. 80 divided by 60 is 1.3 reoccurring miles per minute, which is going to be really hard to work with. If we have a decimal like that, 1.333333, that's not going to be good for our brains to be able to work with. So what we're going to do at the moment is 80 over 60 we're just going to leave it at 80 over 60. Or we can get rid of the zeros, can't we? So let's leave it at 8 over 6. Or we can make it even simpler than that, can't we? Divide by 2. So we're going to leave at 4 over 3. So our speed then is 4 over 3 miles per minute. We're going to leave it as a fraction because it's going to work out better for us, guys. Just trust me here. Now, if we know the distance we have to go, say 12 miles to the next service station, and our answer is required in time, then we use the speed distance time formula. 
okay? Now, the formula states that it's distance over speed times time. So we can manipulate any one of these. Distance over speed times time is how you draw that, which means that distance will equal speed times time or distance over speed equals time. We should be familiar with this. And if you're not, jump into the post and it shows you, okay? So, so let's have a look. What are we trying to work out here? We're trying to work out time, aren't we? So distance over speed times time, which means that distance over speed will equals time. Now we're going to fill in the blank spaces. The distance we wanted to go, we said, was 12 miles. Put 12 on the top. 12 is on the top. The speed, we said, was 4 divided by 3 miles per minute, didn't we? 1.33333. I'm not going to use that 1.333. We're not going to do that. We're going to keep it 4 over 3. Now we've got 12 divided by 4 over 3. 12 divided by 4 over 3. Okay? If we rearrange that then, what we get is 12 over 4 times 3. It's the way when you arrange a fraction on the bottom, you, you flip it in effect. So the very, very bottom comes on the top. And this is, this is a kind of basic fractions really, but go with me here. So 12 divided by 4 over 3 is the same as 12 divided by 4 times 3. That makes sense. 12 divided by 4, all right, is 3 times 3, okay, and that's what we get to 9. It becomes 9 minutes. So at 80 miles per hour, you'll cover 12 miles in 9 minutes. So don't always go into decimals, guys. Keep things in fractions, as you've just seen there. And you're probably sitting in the car going, I don't, I can't remember how that happened. And that's absolutely fine. Just remember, the start, I started off by saying 80 divided by 60, didn't I? I cancelled the zeros. I went 8 over 6 is the fraction. But I can divide by 2 to make it simpler. We ended up with, number 4 over 3. That was the speed, wasn't it? 4 over 3. And then we had 12 miles. 12 divided by 4 over 3, reverse the fraction, and we end up with um, 9 minutes. So work with fractions when you can. Brains do not like multiple decimal places. Okay, it works for increasingly harder sums too. If you haven't crashed your big rig now, whatever you're flying, um, whatever you're driving, then we can go and do a little bit more. But again, you may want to go, Tim, I've had enough of you right now. I'm getting out. But there's actually, I'm looking on my post now and there is, what, 10 lines left? There's nothing. I'll go through this next one uh, and I'll just go through it and we can forget about it and then we'll just end up. 10 lines, all right? So let's go for a slightly harder one then. If you have... If you have 80 miles per hour and 5 miles to go, leave it all in fractions. All right. So the distance over speed again, 5 over 80, which equals the time. Distance is 80. Oh, sorry. Distance is 5. Sorry. Distance is 5. Speed is 80. 5 over 80 is 5 80ths of an hour. What is an 80th of an hour? I don't know, but we're going to find out. Multiply both sides by 60 to get it into minutes. 5 over 80 is the same thing as 1 over 16. Sometimes it's hard to see. And if you don't see it, it doesn't matter because it will always come out in the end. Okay? But you know you could probably divide the bottom one and the top by 5 and you're going to get 1 over 16. So it's a sixteenth of an hour. All right? Does that make sense? All right. So sixteenth of an hour. In effect, let's pretend we keep it the same. Let's not use a 60. Let's use 5 over 80. 5 over 80 times 60. What happens is we get 300 on the top and we get 80 on the bottom. Yeah, so 5 times 60 on the top over 80. 300 divided by 80. Get rid of the zeros. 30 over 8. See how it's going to break out in the end? Divide both top and bottom by 2. Yeah, we've got 15 over 4. And if we approximate 15 over 4, it's almost 4. It's almost four, isn't it? Yeah, does that make sense? A bit less than four. So if we approximate, we're going to get less, just a bit less than four minutes. It's 15 over four. And we know four fours are 16. So fours into 15, three and a bit. Three and a bit. 15 over four then is three and three quarters. Because three fours are 12 and then it'll be three over four. All right, so three and three quarters. What is... Three quarters of a minute. What's a quarter of a minute? Multiply that by three. Yeah, 45 seconds. All right? So then it's 
three minutes and 45 seconds if we were to refine. Approximate and refine. Might help you to go through the post here. I reckon most of you probably kept with this, all right? So I hope that helps. In all honesty, look, when it goes wrong, ignore everything else and do what you're doing at the time. If that's flying an airplane, believe me, just fly the airplane. It saved my life a few times. Um, probably, I don't know, I was going to cover one of the ones, that's the post done, by the way, you can switch me off now and go about your business. But um, just a question that came in last night from a chap, we'll call him Kay. His question was, you have used 285 kilograms of fuel in the past three hours and 10 minutes. How much do you burn per hour? I'll read it out again. 285 kilograms of fuel in the past three hours and 10 minutes. How much do you burn per hour? Now, that is going to be a multi-choice question for OSC or AOB. The key with this question is it looks ninja hard. It's like, oh my God, 285, it's got a five in there. Uh, oh, it's not, it's not even zero, it's got five. 285 kilograms of fuel, but it's, it's, I've, used, I've been running that fuel for th three hours and 10 minutes is taking me, oh my God, how much do I burn per hour? Look, three hours and 10 minutes. That 10 minutes part of three hours and 10 minutes is a small bit. In, how many 10 minutes are in three hours and 10 minutes? Well, in an hour, there's six 10 minutes. Make sense? Six 10 minutes an hour. So in three hours... Yeah, makes sense. There's there's 18 plus six for 10. There's 19 10 minute portions in three hours and 10 minutes. So that 10 minutes represents a 19th of the question, a 19th of the question. OK, so let's park the 19th for a minute because that's only a small bit. It's not going to make much in the answer. Then we just divide that 300 or oh, sorry, 285 by three. Just divide it 285 by three. I don't even know what that is, but 285 by 3, I think we get about 95. But we know it's got a bit too much because we haven't accounted for the 10 minutes we've also burnt some fuel. So we're going to have a bit less than 95 kilograms. And at this point, if you're doing a CBAT, I'd go, I'll see if one of the answers is 90. And if it's 90, I'll just take that one and move on. If you're doing your aptitude test, I'll go, yeah. So if I divide 285 by 3 hours, I get 95 kilograms. But I know I've got another 10 minutes of fuel. Yeah, so it's going to be a bit less than that. I'll take 90. But now, if you did have time and you were going to refine, what if you removed a 19th of 95? My God, that sounds complicated, doesn't it? What is a 19th of 95? Because we're trying to work out what 10 minutes is here. And 10 minutes is, is a 19th of the entire portion. So you need to kind of remove that. It's five, by the way. The 19th of 95 is five. So just approximate of refine. And if you then kind of go, oh, 90, see if 90 works. Well, what's three times 90? Well, it's 270. 270 is three times 90. So what is 10 minutes of that 90? A sixth of that 90. A sixth of 90 is 15. If you would add the 15 to the 270, you become 285. So the answer is 90. It looks awful. The key with something like that is to get rid of a small bit. When they set this question, they knew the 10 minutes was going to throw people. They knew the 10 minutes was going to throw people. Three hours and 10 minutes. That's why they didn't make it an hour 10 minute. Because the 10 minutes would have been too important. You'd have to turn it into a fraction then. And we'll look at that in a second. So they made it three hours and 10 minutes. So that you could approximate. And you're going to be almost there. You can say, well, it's three hours, 10 minutes. I'll just divide by three and see whether the answer's close. And they want to see whether you go less than 95, whether you go more than 95. You know, they want to see if your brain works in that way. So you can really just guesstimate on that and tick a box and move on. And you should be learning how to do that. Don't refine too much in CBATs if you don't have to. If one of the answer matches there or thereabouts and the other ones aren't close, tick it, move on. But it looks awful. Now, if it was an hour and 10, the 10 minutes would be a seventh of the total. Does that make sense? You've got 70 minutes now. 10 minutes of 70 minutes is a seventh of the total. That seventh is a much more important. It's much more important and more impactful than the 19th. Okay, we're getting a bit deep. I don't need to do any more. What I would say, though... Let's just think that if you had 350 kilograms used in two hours and 20 minutes, this is a lot easier. Multiply everything by three. Get everything in hours. Because two hours and 20 minutes, 20 is a third of an hour, right? Makes sense? Two hours and 20 minutes, 20 is a third of an hour. I can't multiply by that. I haven't got enough time in my life to start doing that kind of maths. So in the air, what I'd be doing is, I'll be like, oh, 350 in two hours and 20 minutes. 
right, let's turn that two hours and 20 minutes into whole hours. How do I do that? I'm going to multiply two hours and 20 minutes by three. And if I did that, I'm going to get seven hours. But I've done that side by three. I need to multiply the 350 kilograms by three as well. And if I multiply 350 kilograms by three, I'm going to get 1,050, probably 1,050, something like that. Is that right? 900, yeah, 1,050. 1,050 divided by seven, I get 150 kilograms per hour. Do you see how I made it simple on myself? I just tried to multiply things up. Now, if you were to do the first question and multiply, you'd have to multiply both sides by six and the numbers would be massive. And so it's easy not to do that. But I'm hoping, and the same thing, like, I've used 200 kilograms and I've, I've gone two, two and a half hours. 200 kilograms, two and a half hours. God, mo multiply both by two. That two and a half hours has now come five. The 200 kilograms is now 400. 400 divided by five. You, you get the picture? Yeah, you're going to get that same figure. All right, cool. All right, what I would say about the maths. If you're going to do maths for your CBAT, Get your mum or your dad or your mate to put you in test conditions. Run it on a clock. It's all about the preparation, all right? It's not that we rise to the occasion. It's that we fall to the highest level of our preparedness. Okay, I can copyright that shit right there. I can copyright that. But what I'm saying is you will, under test conditions, you'll struggle unless you've had some kind of prep. And you want to prep in exam conditions. In a quiet room. Put headphones on if you need to. You know, get your mum to walk around the room like this. You know, get a walk around the room like, and just do it in the conditions that you're going to be doing it in for the sea bats. It makes a real difference. It makes a real, real difference. This is why we get our students to fly the same sorties again and again and again. So when they go into conflict, they've seen that picture of the high aspect merge before. They don't get scared. I did a podcast the other night where a guy says, you get scared flying jets? I'm like, I've never been scared flying an airplane in my life. But then I've never been excited either. Never scared, never excited. I've been normalized. We normalize our students. And you should be normalizing yourself for test conditions. Look, I hope I've helped you there. I'm sorry it's long. I don't know how long it is. I think I'm, oh my God, I think I'm looking at an hour almost. I'm going to cut some of this down. Guys, I really appreciate it. Uh, let me know if you have any struggles with any of this. And uh, again, I'll talk you through some stuff if it's um, any bigger issues. But go over this again, have a look at the post again. Um, let me know how you get on your CBATs. Remember the Air Force and the Navy right now, the Army as well. I was chatting to a guy the other day, actually. We're looking at bringing a lot of people in. Airlines are recruiting like crazy. And if you're not wanting to do any of that kind of flying stuff, and personally, I'm trying to move out of it myself, then hopefully this is going to make it easy for you to impress your wife or your husband when you're buying a fridge in Comet wherever you go. All right? Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Tim Davies, Fast Ship Performance. <laughs>